dear Pilot House fans. We are so sorry that the Orphan Black episode that we had promised last week is still not up. Uh, a lot has happened uh, to everyone in the last couple of weeks. Um, a lot has happened in particular to me, and strangely, uh, neither of us is in our normal home base right now, which makes things difficult. Uh, sometimes you forget to pack a key piece of equipment that allows you to make podcasts happen. So we wanted to release something this week, and we realized that last summer we recorded a catch-up episode talking about our reactions to the first season of Ripper Street, which we watched way back in season one. It was intended to be a Patreon exclusive, but something the week that we recorded it, like life happened in some way that made us both totally forget that we had done it. And we just completely forgot to ever edit it and post it on the Patreon. So that's why we mention Patreon in the episode and call it an exclusive. But we decided during these difficult times, you know, uh, it, it helps people to have as much fun stuff to listen to and cool things to look forward to as possible. So I'm sure none of our dear patrons will object to us sharing this with the general feed. However, if you would like to get exclusive episodes like this in the future, you can go to patreon.com slash pilothouse and uh, support us there, and we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, we're both losing uh, gigs due to the current situation and uh, making things difficult. Uh, I mean, I know it's difficult for everybody, so no pressure if you can't. We're going to keep posting most of our content here in the feed. So... Uh, without further ado, please enjoy our discussion of season one of Ripper Street. Bye. Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. Try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Patreon exclusive. Ooh. Yeah, this is our first one of these. Yeah, and this is also notable for being the longest we've ever gone between the pilot discussion and the catch-up episode, because our Ripper Street uh, pilot episode came out in March of 2018, over a year ago. Yeah. I don't know what our previous record was, because I wasn't keeping track, but this is considerably longer than any previous one. It's Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, I think our catch-up for Winona Earp was like a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, well, or, and I think the, 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 um, the Good Place one was like, I, I mean, in my mind, it was like we did it that day. Yeah. <laughs> we were so ready. Yeah, we definitely blazed through those ones pretty quickly. But at any rate, we have finished the first season of the BBC show Ripper Street. Uh, if you're not familiar with the show, I highly recommend going and watching it, definitely. Um, at the very least, go listen to our pilot discussion about it. But uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about what we thought about the season and some of our feelings about it, and also what we were right and wrong about in our predictions based on the pilot. So spoilers ahoy. Yeah, just extreme spoilers. Just so many. And this is only an eight-episode season, so this is something yeah. that would not be too difficult to get caught up and yeah. watch, binge on Netflix. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty easy watch, I would say. I felt it was. Um, and yeah, eight eight episodes. Thank you, BBC. <laughs> so, uh, Sarah, how did you feel about this season overall? 
I have a lot of feelings. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I already had a lot of feelings about the show as soon as I finally sat down and watched the second episode. Because, for the record, after watching the pilot, we were both pretty on board with watching more of the show. We both wanted to watch more. But yes. I think it was like right before we went on tour, maybe. Oh, no, we on tour. We did it. We were in Fresno. at. We had just finished Rogue. Yeah. So we were on tour when we watched it. By the time we got back from tour, you know, so much was going on. We just never, neither of us uh, ended up picking it up. And it wasn't until just a few months ago that I finally sat down and watched the second episode and went, oh, wow, this is good. This is really good. I should watch the rest of this. Then I went on tour. Mm-hmm. Came back from tour and immediately blazed through the rest of the season and said, uh, strangely, please watch this immediately so we can do a catch up because I have thoughts and feelings. And I lost, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> I, I was curious how you felt about <laughs> the season. Oh, yeah, I, I guess as soon as I started. Yes, thank you. So as soon as I started rewatching it again is the point, I immediately had all sorts of feelings about it. Mm -hmm. And then I got to the end of the season and a lot happens in those last two episodes that I had even more feelings about. So like, I I feel like I have two separate categories of feelings. Feelings about the show overall and the topics it deals with and how it deals with them. And then my feelings about the actual plot. Uh Uh-huh. Generally, they're both fairly positive, but I'm, I'm more effusive about the show and its vibe and th- how it deals with the stories it deals with. I'm more into, excited and, and like over the moon about that than I'm necessarily about the things. I have mixed feelings about the stuff that happened in the last couple episodes that wrap up the season. I, yeah, I like bird's eye view. I'm pretty negative on the show. Oh, no. But I, there's a lot of things, individual things I really like. And it sounds like you kind of had some mixed feelings as well. Oh, no. I definitely thought we were going to both be in the same boat about the show. Oh, no. I mean, I'll, I'll get I'll get into it. And I, yeah. I have a feeling that some of the things that are making me trend a little bit more negatively to you might be some of the things that you also are kind of like, uh, yeah. plot-wise and stuff. Yeah. But, like... I mean, there's a major plot point in the second to last episode that I almost was like, well, fuck the show forever then. So... That was significant, but it was the strength of my excitement and Uh appreciation of the stuff that happens earlier in the season that kept me wanting to watch more. Right. I mean, let's just delve into it. Let's dive right into it. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, because like when you were first like, I have so many feelings, I was like, oh, is Sarah feeling negative or what? Because you had watched, like, you'd finished the season and you're like, you got to catch up with me. I want to talk about this. And I was like, okay. So... Like, I kind of, I was on the heels of you having watched it. So I'm just so curious to kind of pick this apart and see where we're both coming from. Yeah. Well, I... So what was that big thing? You said something happened in episode seven. Let's start from there. Oh, I was going to start with, I wanted to start with the things I'm happy about and then get into the things I'm pissed off about. Okay. If, if that's okay. That's fine. The, I mean, the one big thing that I like noted in my notes, this is the thing I most want to talk about about this show is it's something that I have been struggling to put into words or find a way to express for a long time Mm -hmm. regarding shows that are set either in the real past or in, like, fantasy past, right? Um, And I... Ripper Street finally gave me the... the, Ripper Street finally gave me the words, the way to express it, Mm -hmm. which is the show doesn't use, oh, it was the past, as an excuse... To, like, 
glorify in tawdry violence and racism and sexism. No, neither does it whitewash the past and pretend it was better than it was. Right. Like, people have this tendency with shows like anything set in the actual past, but also things like Game of Thrones, which are like heavily influenced by medieval Europe or whatever, even though they're fantasy shows, to use, well, that's what it was like then, to be really gross. Mm-hmm. To portray violence against women and general violence and just horrible things. And... In a, in a prurient way. Like yeah. In almost like a, a voyeuristic way. Exactly. And if you try to say, like, maybe we could not do that, people leap to go, like, well, hey, that's what it was like, man. And River Street certainly does not shy away from the dark reality of the time period. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some uncomfortable stuff that happens and there's some like there's some violence i mean it's about crime it's yeah there's murders there's terrible things that happen but at the same time the past does not shows that are set in a in the past have no obligation to portray every character and every story as the whatever was the norm or the most common viewpoint at the time yeah like there's no reason that a story can't be like, but also there were people, you know, because in the past there were people who did not fit into the, the, what's what I'm looking for. The, there are people who defied the norm. You yeah. Know? There were gay people in the past. Which actually existed. brings up one of my favorite scenes in the entire season that I, I think illustrates the point you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting at. In our pilot discussion, I talked about how I knew that there was like a significant underground gay scene in mm-hmm. London at this yeah. time period. I was hoping we'd see some of it. And we did. Yes. There's that bit where they find out that two of the, the the dead victims of a like a killing spree that they found were connected because they both frequented a certain gentleman's club, which was like a gay club, like where like all the performers are like, like um, in drag. And there's like, there's like everybody's. It's either like transvestites or, or sort of there, there's some sort of like that element. Yeah. And they go in and the the person who runs the club is is like very like obviously sort of this like middle aged man, like dressed up as a old time yeah. lady. And uh, Matthew McFadden's I, I, Inspector Reed is like, uh, madam, if I, a moment of your yeah, time. Like, yeah. Well, he's it's just like, very they, yeah. first of all, when they, they first figure out that the, this is the connection, they're trying to connect these like six murders and they yeah. can't find any connection. And at some point they're like, something comes up that makes Jackson go, oh, well, I did find semen in one guy's stomach. And they're like, you didn't think sooner he's like i didn't think it was relevant to the crime he says something like what raises another man's sales is no business of mine he's very like what i didn't think it was relevant and then when yeah they bust into this club which is uh owned and frequented by either cross-dressers trans women we don't know how they would have identified uh now if they had the language but um people who are clearly assigned male at birth who are presenting as as women and they bust in you know being cops and then everyone's freaking out and then inspector reed is like hold the phone look we're not he doesn't use these terms because it's old times but he says basically like look we're not vice we're homicide yeah. that's he wouldn't have used those words yeah. right but that's what he's basically, basically saying yeah. like look we're not here to 
like harsh anyone's good time we are trying to find out information about a murder like when when he realizes kind of that he's freaking them out he takes his hat off and says to the proprietress madam he yeah. dresses her as madam takes off his hat it's something like he's like look i'm not trying to like break up any um boarding houses i think is a euphemism he uses and the proprietor says even ones such as mine kind of looking at him like yeah. You really gonna be cool about this, bro? And he—that's when he takes off his hat and goes, "Madam, I am looking for information about a murder." Like, yeah. it was like he didn't have to. Yeah, they didn't have to do that. And like, there's so many other ways the show handles things better than they could have, right? Like, I mean, we talked about in our uh, pilot discussion that they handle the uh, the—it's a surprisingly sex worker positive sort of approach uh-huh. to the show um, because. You really, it would be disingenuous to do a story about, you know, the London post Jack the Ripper and not deal with how it affected the sex worker population. Right. Right. So that is also part of it, right? Like there's, there's, you know, uh, we'll get more into Drake's whole relationship with Rose, but like that whole thing is not like the cliche, a fallen woman, I must save her. It's way more complex than that and respectful. And Susan is a more strong and complex character who's like her whole thing is like I'm giving these women protection and I'm putting them in a better position than if they were just you know working on the streets or whatever and also there are there is a main character who's Jewish I have to talk about this part obviously there's a main character who shows up right in the second episode and is consistent and important throughout the entire season who's Jewish and there's another Jewish episode on top of that. Like, I am always looking out for the, oh, when is the Jewish episode going to happen? Because most shows I have found, especially old, like, shows set in the past, have an Jewish episode, right? Miss Fisher had one. Like, it's pretty common for one to come up. And this show had two Jewish episodes in one season. Unprecedented. And they were not shitty. And... Deborah, the Ms. Gorin, mm-hmm. she is not like cliche. The fact that she's Jewish is almost not part of the plot in that first episode where she's running the orphanage. It's a Jewish orphanage for Jewish children specifically. But like that's sort of just it's there. It exists because that was a thing that existed at the time. Right. But it's not like hugely important to the plot. And then the nov- the next episode, it's more about um like union busting and like and Bolsheviks and yeah then it yeah. is about specifically Judaism anyway and it that that that's another example of sort of the the times there was a there was at that time there was a lot of association of Jewish people with Bolshevism and it was kind of like mm-hmm. they were interchangeable and there's a lot of people in that episode who are like well he's Jewish and it's Bolsheviks and they blow stuff up or whatever yeah. and uh, and Reed is like, no, we need to separate these facts and we need to look at these things separately. So yeah, again, it's that yeah. kind of thing, you know, which is one of the themes that I really enjoy across the entire season is this idea almost of we're getting to witness the invention of modern police work. Yeah. Like sort of what we think of police work as being now. And I, I think it's a really interesting juncture in history. It's the around the same time that people started looking at taking fingerprints and like the first uh, indoor electric burglar alarms were invented and like that kind of stuff. So it's kind of this, this moment where 
the the art of detection as it were yeah sort of became this broader thing which is also that's sort of what uh conan doyle was tapping into with sherlock holmes that yeah. same kind of like we're inventing mo- what we would consider to be modern policing yeah and along the way the the character who's sort of leading this reed is also in many ways kind of embracing modern what we would think of as modern ideals mm-hmm. about yeah. people and situations and and not jumping to conclusions based on on uh stereotypes right yeah yeah because that's bad police work yeah they're also there i there's also an episode um where the the main plot of the episode is the way societies fail veterans. Yeah. Like, even though the veterans uh, in that episode are the villains, they are the bad guys. Yeah. But, like, it is clearly portrayed that they were driven to crime by a feeling, not only the circumstances of their lives, but also a feeling of, well, uh, clearly queen and country don't actually care about us, so we shouldn't care about them. Like... That, that's some heavy stuff that you don't often see in an, uh, a period show. Yeah, like that. The, the the leader of the the disgruntled veterans played by Ian Glenn yeah. from Game of Thrones, Sir Jorah Mormont. There's yeah. a little Game of Thrones reunion, even though him and, I don't think him and Bronn ever met uh, oh, really? on the show. I no. was wondering, because like, he is significant to Drake's character. Like The yeah. two of them spend a lot of time yeah. interacting. And I was like, is this just like... A crazy situation for anyone who's seen, like, to see these characters yeah. interact for anyone who is a Game of Thrones fan, but... Uh, yeah, because they... He's the, a great character. The one scene where they would have maybe had a moment in the show, um, Jerome Flynn did not appear because uh, Lena had... had, had yeah, don't they have some it, kind of weird it, thing where they won't be in scenes together? It's in their contracts that they will not appear in scenes with each other. Because <laughs> they weird. used to date. Or something, and yeah. it did not end well. Yeah, apparently, apparently very, um, very unlikely. But, but, but uh, Ian Glenn, great character. And that, that, that moment at the end where he doesn't even really care about stealing the gold. Mm-hmm. He wants to destroy all of the stored, like, medals, medals of honor and everything. Yeah. yeah, like, that's the thing that's so important to him. It, it, it's definitely really... It's a much more complex approach to veterans and yeah. and uh, uh, the way that veterans might feel uh post-war it's just so much more complex than i think i've ever seen in a tv show much less a period story like this so i just felt like there were a lot of times this show really took the took the harder road that they didn't have to they could have taken an easy road and just followed the tropes and instead they were like no let's explore some stuff let's show the less common story let's highlight the more interesting stories Uh, the only thing that I feel like they were really missing is that we don't, there are no people of color um, in the show. In the show. we They don't get to meet any characters or have any significant characters that aren't, I mean, the Jewish characters are the closest that we come to that. And mm-hmm. that's, I, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't also go there because people, hey, surprise, people of color existed in Victorian London. You yeah. Know? And as, as, uh, and not only uh, servants or whatever, right? Yeah. And as as like freedmen and everything, because that had been culturally a thing in the in England for I don't longer. remember when yeah. abolition had happened a lot longer before it happened in the states. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm surprised they didn't go there. I mean, they hopefully they will in the later seasons. Uh, right. But anyway, 
that's the thing that I mainly wanted to to, to just like gush about because mm-hmm. that's the thing that made me immediately just like go, oh wow, this show is going there. This show is, and, and it finally gave me the understanding because I was always like, yeah, well, okay, I know it was like that, but we don't always have to. Sh- we could imagine a better past is what I used to say, but that sounds too much like I'm advocating for like whitewashing the past and like ignoring what was real. Right. And it's not about imagining a better past. It's about highlighting the very real stories of people who were trying to make a better present in the past. Right. Which uh, I think kind of leads into the something I want to talk about, about handling things. I One of the standout things that I loved about the season was Drake's arc yes. in terms of kind of exploring his, you know, because we, we didn't really know what his whole deal was yeah. initially. And, it you know, he's suffering from major PTSD. Yeah. And uh, and just like adjusting to civilian life, and it some of that comes to a head for him in the episode with uh, his old commander, the Ian Glenn character. Yeah. Oh, that line where he's like, "Sergeant, that's an order," and Drake's like, "I'm not your sergeant anymore." Yeah. It's so good because he is. That is his rank in the police force, sergeant as, as well. well. So it's not just. Hey, we're not in wartime anymore. It's also I'm not your sergeant. I'm a different yeah. kind of sergeant now. Like, oh, that was such a good moment. Yeah, but what I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, but what I I think is actually the 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 linchpin moment of that arc uh-huh. is after uh, I totally forget his name, Young Bobby, the Dick Hobbs, PC after, Dick Hobbs. After PC Dick Hobbs is murdered. That's needlessly actually when Drake breaks. That's when he just goes yeah. off and starts getting drunk. And he, because he has managed to hold it together up to this point by going, this is civilian life now. Yeah. People don't die senselessly here. Like, and being on the or police when, force. When they do, we solve the the yeah. crime and we bring someone to justice and that's how we we do it which adds a semblance of making sense of death yeah yeah and yet he loses th- this this kid dies yeah and uh y- you know and he's just that's what breaks him and i like from a writing standpoint i loved that 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 watching his former commander and someone that he looked up to and was very important to him basically commit seppuku like right there in front of them. Yeah. Like an honor killing of self kind of thing that didn't break him. And, and, and that was not the thing that broke him. It was this smaller, more intimate thing that really seemed to just kind of push him over the edge. Yeah. And like it, it's just such a fantastic layered character. Oh, yeah. Well, and I absolutely hate that they killed Hobbes and the way they killed Hobbes. But how it affects Drake's overall story is yeah. good. Drake's aspect of that story is great. But I absolutely 1000% hate that they killed Hobbes and how they did it. Because, like I said in our pilot chat, this guy seems fun. Hope he gets more of a character. And yeah, like, you hoped he got a girlfriend. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. He's just around being the wide-eyed, young, fresh-faced kid with absolutely no real character to him until the second-to-last episode. And suddenly, they show a scene where he's, like, assisting Jackson, mm-hmm. and Jackson's, like, quizzing him on, like, facts about 
the body. And it's like, oh, apparently he's been trying to learn from Jackson. That's awesome. He's trying to learn more about like forensics. Like, that's so cool. He's trying to improve himself. Yeah. And I was like, oh, finally, finally, we're going to get more, you know, character development for Hobbs. Exciting. I'm so stoked. And then uh, Reed sends him out to like follow, like put, you know, plain clothes, go follow this suspect. And you're like, oh, he's clearly so excited to have been assigned this like mm-hmm. cool thing to go yeah. follow somebody. And then he is killed senselessly and really cruelly. Extremely cruel. It, he did not have to die that hard. Like, yeah. it was very upsetting. Uh, Which leads into like one of my, this is kind of, I guess we're touching, we're up to the tip of the iceberg of my dislike of dislike of the, the larger aspect of the show is that as soon as he had that scene, I went, this kid's going to die because of just the way the scene was written and everything. I was like, Oh, we're now being encouraged to develop an emotional attachment to him. Yeah. He's about to go. Unfortunately, I did not predict that. I went, Oh yay. Finally, we're getting some character development for PC Hobbs. Yay. Star Trek Discovery did the same thing in season two. There, there's a background character that uh, I loved and I was always just like, I want I want to know what her deal is. I need to know more about her. Mm-hmm. And finally, there's like a whole episode revolving around her. And I was like, God damn it. This is too much all at once. She is like, they're not even showing the leads. I know where this is going. Uh, yeah, I, well, I, if they had just been developing Hobbs throughout the season yeah. and then he had died, it would have been like, it would have still sucked, but it would have been less like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it's the same episode where they finally give him some character that he dies. And then in the next episode, here's the thing that like when they show him in plain clothes, I'm like, wow, he's even younger than I realized because he's dressed in a very young way. Yeah. He's wearing the little flat cap kind of situation, like the newsy cap, but without the, the, the top connected to the brim, that kind of thing. And he's wearing like a cute, he's dressed like a child at the time. He is choosing his clothing at the, either his mom is still dressing him or he is not choosing clothes to try and say, I am a man now in a man's world. He's not wearing like a suit. Right. And I'm like, Oh wow. He's even younger than I realized. He probably still lives at home with his mother. And then in the next episode, he has a wife. Like his widow comes to pick up his effects or whatever. And I'm like, I'm minute and bitter. What the fuck is happening? Is he a baby or is he... What is happening? So I just... I feel like the show didn't really know what the hell they were doing with him. Anyway, I just... I don't know that much about the time period, right? But I feel like presumably if someone was like, I have a wife now and a job. I am a man. They would start dressing to reflect that. I wouldn't still be wearing baby clothes. I don't know. That was an odd... I think that that was just an odd costuming choice. Yeah. But that, that... overall arc for him it, it's just kind of one of those things where it was like so much of that was paint by numbers he's a, he's the wide-eyed fresh-faced thing that's there and then as soon as we need to kill him we're going to give you a little bit to develop an attachment yeah and then blip yeah that was on hands down the worst thing in the show did love that funeral though or the the wake that the in the officers bar. Oh yeah. When all the police officers are singing, uh, the. I know that song is William McBride from. It's a World War One song. Yeah. That it was kind of retooled to be about the green fields of France and the poppies and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to get to hear sort of the pre World War One version of that, that was obviously sort of a similar context, was really beautiful. Yeah. 
And also the fact that most of those guys, not good singers. <laughs> like, I, I hate that in movies and television when, you know, it's all of a sudden like a character has been like, hello, Mr. Mr. Hobbs, I'm going to sing a little song for, for you. And then it's like, behold the boy. And it's like, yeah. clearly it's been, the, they've recorded the singing like in a sound studio, like yeah. at a Yeah, this was a studio. bunch of drunk cops. Yeah. Singing in a bar. It, yeah, that was a good scene. But, yeah, I just, yeah, definitely that was the moment that kind of rocked my feeling of positivity about the show. I was like, oh, oh no. Now, I felt like they kind of brought it back around in the finale, though. Did you not feel that way? No, but killing Hobbs wasn't really the 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 big moment of dislike for me. Oh. It was just sort of something that I started to realize in that episode and then I um and just overall looking at the season as a block. Mhm. Uh was that this world is so small. Like if something happens to a prostitute in this show, it happens to a prostitute from their brothel. There is apparently one brothel in all of Whitechapel. Well, there's the the girl that the um the good night. Yes, the the Mr. Goodnight. Dear God, we'll get to you, Goodnight. Yeah, but there's the prostitute that Mr. Goodnight kills. She's not from Susan's. Yes, uh, which maybe the brothel isn't the exact best thing to point to, but it, it just yeah. sort of feels like. Uh, the the div- the thing that happens in cop shows where it's like two separate unrelated cases end up being the same thing. Yeah. Like the whole thing with the um, they're chasing the, I think it's in the second episode. They're chasing the guy who's running the gang of children. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, uh, uh, Doctor Jackson has lost his ring to the guy in the guy's underground gambling den and is also pursuing the guy. Oh. Like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like there's just, there's, there's yeah. a few too many of those kind of coincidences. Huh. Yeah. That, I mean, that's fair. That sort of, I've noticed that sort of thing with other shows. It didn't bother me with this one, but. I, I think part of why it bothers me with this show is that I, what I want from, wanted from this show, particularly after watching like the second and third episode was just an old-timey procedural. It was something we talked mm-hmm. about a little bit in the first... Because I'm really enamored of that idea of sort of yeah. we're watching the modern world get invented. Yeah, and it still is. I mean, it is... They have a different crime to solve every episode. Yeah, I just... it Towards the end of the season, it started to feel like it was going into what I would say was Longmire territory, where it stops being these individual cases and starts becoming more... Like the the individual case of the week to overarching narrative uh, balance starts to tip more towards overarching narrative from case of the week. I feel like that makes sense, though, when you get to the season finale. You want your final episode to not just be your average case of the week. You want it to be something a little more significant to the overall world of the show. Sure. But I, I think the... The over, I guess a big part of that frustration for me with the season finale and that is that the seventh episode ends with exactly your prediction. 
for the cliffhanger. Yeah, which is insane because I had completely forgotten that prediction until after watching the finale, I went back and listened to our thing. I went, oh, wow, I totally predicted that. But I, it was such a sort of, oh, that'd be an interesting thing, kind of offhanded yeah. prediction. And with a year between watching the pilot, watching the rest of the show, I had completely forgotten that I'd predicted that. Yeah. Even when it happened, I didn't go, oh, yeah, I predicted this. Like, I completely went, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. Which is that Jackson, being a surgeon, being a doctor, mm -hmm. is framed. Uh, there is evidence planted to suggest that he is Jack the Ripper. And Reed has to prove him innocent, prove right. that it wasn't him. Um, Which, from where I sit, would have been, like ample fodder for an entire finale. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wanted to see that not necessarily drawn out, but I, I wanted to see that explored a little more that, that Drake no longer being supportive of, uh, inspector Reed on that, you know, in that moment yeah. that Drake was broken yeah. And no longer on Reed's side and Reed's kind of alone. Yeah. And then it's just like, Oh, look, Skin under the fingernails. Yeah. It just, it felt like they set this up to be a thing and then just swept it aside so True. that they could chase the big sexy case that suddenly appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, I agree. When I saw the, when they revealed at the end of the penultimate episode, the, the, it's revealed, they, they, they end the second to last episode with their foot halfway through the door of the next episode of, they mm -hmm. go, and now we have evidence and Adeline is like, and obviously Jackson is Jack the Ripper. Got him. Yeah. And then the next episode, I was almost dreading it, though. I was like, oh, I kind of don't want this to be the thing. Like, I kind of don't want it. But then when they did the final episode and all of a sudden there was this whole other story, I was a little bit like, really? We're going to, we we are going to be, I guess now I, I understand more what you're saying about a weird balance because they tried to handle both. They tried to yeah. do this big story about Jackson being, they finally returned to the specter of Jack the Ripper more than they did. They mm -hmm. kind of let Jack the Ripper go a bit in the mid yeah. chunk, which was fair. They finally bring back the specter of Jack the Ripper and it's Jackson is being uh, accused and all that stuff. And then they also have to deal with one of their usual cases at the same time. It's like... Even though it's tied in, because the guy that they catch was one of their suspects mm -hmm. for the for for Jack. Right. Uh, it was a lot to be dealing with in a single episode. Yeah, and and just the the fact that the suspect was also related to the awkwardness between Reed and his wife, and it was just, the whole thing like, with Reed's daughter, which yeah. is not even mentioned in the pilot. Yeah. It's interesting. The pilot gives us, he and his wife have a tense relationship. Mm -hmm. And when he's changing his shirt, we get to see all the scars. And we're like, whoa, what's that about? But we get no hint until the next episode, I think. I can't actually remember when they first established that it's his daughter. I think they do right in that second episode. Mm -hmm. Which, didn't you say that the first and second episodes were aired together originally? I think so, which... It would make sense, which, because... Even though the cases are very separate in those two episodes, yeah. the the overall uh, sort of bird's-eye view establishment of the world and the characters and the relationships felt, for me, a lot more settled at the end of the second episode yeah. than 
at the end of the first episode. Yeah, I mean, I think the plot is very standalone. Yeah. I think the first episode absolutely stands alone and works as a pilot, unlike say, The Good Place, mm-hmm. which I really wished we'd watched the second episode um, right. to be able to f- more fully discuss the 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 show. In this case, I it I didn't feel that way. However, it definitely makes sense that they. They just could not squeeze in the whole thing about uh, Reed's daughter in that first episode. When they first established in the, like, fourth episode, maybe? Fourth or... Not fifth, but, like, somewhere in kind of the middle, Mm -hmm. they established that Reed's daughter, who we've established at this point, is... has died, and that's the tenseness between him and his wife, that their, their child died and they're not dealing with it well. When they finally establish that Reed believes she's not actually dead because the body was never found, there was a, a he and uh, the two of them were on a yeah. boat mm-hmm. and the boat crashed and there was a fire and that's what all of his scars are about and his daughter's body was never found so he believes that she may still be out there. Like when they first introduced that, I went, oh no, oh no, do not Longmire this. this. Is basically what yeah. I thought. Like please don't make his daughter's death some big mystery that he has to solve or it's going to be about him trying to find his daughter which they introduce that in the finale they suggest that his daughter may in fact be alive and have been found and i was i really liked the fact that they finally established in the end no it's not her it's not her the the child that he thought might you know that he knew there was some child that had been kidnapped it's some other girl it's not his daughter and in fact they establish fairly fairly concretely through another witness who was on the boat that his daughter is dead oh see i i read that completely the opposite that they left that wide open oh really yeah because the guy doesn't say i saw her drown he just no. says i was the only one saved that i i didn't see anyone else oh swim yeah or i guess it, it. i was just so relieved that that girl d- turned out to not be his yeah. daughter that i read that statement he he was the only one he was the only one who went into the water that survived like reed was still on the ship a bunch yeah. of people survived who were still on the ship but of the people who went into the water this guy was the only one who survived and he says it was a miracle even he survived he did not see anyone else alive right. I, I, that to me read as them being like you don't be absurd of course everyone who who went over the side of the ship died it's, it's a complete fluke that this one guy survived. It was not a sign that I, your daughter also survived. I hope so. I do not have enough f- faith in the overall writing of the mm. show to believe that we have left that plot line wow. like, finished. Yeah, no, I, now I'm really interested to see, because I'm definitely going to watch season two. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether they dangle that as a continued thing, or if Reed... The second season is partially about Reed finally letting go of the hope right. that Which, his daughter is still alive. I think part of why I didn't read it as that being a conclusive ending of that yeah. is that one of the sort of ongoing aspects of that plotline that they have shown us is the fact that they are not cleaning out their daughter's room. Her room is still being left exactly as it is. And yeah. Even at a, one point, his wife has a breakdown and says, take out all of her stuff, and then he can't do it. He's, yeah, he starts to take her things and put them in a box, and then he has this moment of panic, and he immediately puts it all yeah. back exactly where it was, 
And only then is he like, okay, everything's fine. And having set that up, I want to see the scene where he and his wife, you know, pack up everything from that room and donate it to the orphanage or something like that. And the fact that we don't get shown that, mm. I mean, maybe that happens the first episode of season two, but the fact that we don't get shown that in the season finale yeah. is... To that's, me, the the visual symbol of them letting her go yeah. has not happened. That's that is totally fair. Your concern that that has not actually been resolved is absolutely reasonable, and now I am also concerned. But I definitely at the end I was like, oh, thank God they resolved that. So it'll be interesting to see, yeah, yeah. Wh- whether th- where they go with it. I the thing I was most uh, interested to see what would happen is what now happens to Reed and Emily's marriage. Their marriage has been on the rocks because she was mourning their daughter and he was refusing to accept that she was dead. Mm -hmm. And he in fact falls into the arms of another woman, which I was, I was completely shocked. I don't know if you were as shocked as I was the first time he kisses Miss Gorin. Yeah. And especially the, the fact that not only do they have that like awkward moment of passion kiss but it's like he's he's having sleepovers yeah he goes to her and they start sleeping together like the next episode yeah and it's like whoa okay i did not expect them to go i didn't expect them to kiss i certainly didn't expect them to go like and now we're sleeping together but like i do love of that i don't know how i feel about it overall but i do love the way that deborah is depicted she's very on she knows what this is yeah. She's not like, oh, thank, we're in love now. You're going to leave your wife, right? She's like, I've accepted that I am going to be, you know, I, I am a spinster who right. runs this orphanage. Like, I have devoted my life to taking care of these children, and I'm kind of accepted. I'm not going to have, like, romance and marriage and a family of my own. And when she feels this bond, which they definitely tip that she has feelings for him right. earlier on. The first time she meets his wife, she deflates slightly, like, oh, Chrissy has a wife. But when they start sleeping together, there's definitely this feeling of, uh, she says something, I can't remember, that definitely conveys, like, hey, I appreciate these moments that we're having. This is very, this is something that I didn't think I was going to have in my life, and it's nice to have it, but also you're still married. You saw the yeah. wife, and you need to maybe think about that. So there, there's an uncomfortable trope that I'm. I find it very interesting that you really love her portrayal and think it's great, because I I was a little bit like me about it because of the trope of the like Jewish temptress, like sort of the like. Is that a trope? That is that's a trope. Yeah. Of sort of this kind of wow, like, oh, okay, you know, because like it's like they're from outside the religion and they're sort of like, you know, perceived as huh. having laxer morals and things like that. But it, it, apparently, you're not even aware of this I, trope. Yeah, I'm not even aware of that as a thing. Can you point out like an example that I would have seen? Uh, in a movie or something. I'm now, it's. My understanding of it is that it's it's sort of connected to like the like um like a, a Rome. There's a very similar like like with Roma people like um Esmeralda in mm, Hunchback. Mm-hmm. Sure. But it's sort of like these people who are not part of the the Christian world. Yeah. And they are outside it, and they are they are tempting you away 
with their feminine wiles, but it's to pull you away from the religion. This yeah, is like a, a trope. I have certainly witnessed that as it regards, yeah, Roma people or people of other... I'm trying to think of a word to kind of an encompassing. Like, I, I could, I've seen that also with, like, um, people of other religions, like, that are... God, it's I can't like, think of a way to describe it. But sort yeah. of like minority groups. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess I've never noticed it particularly being a thing with Jewish characters. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it that definitely didn't bother me, especially because she's not tempting him. Like, the the fact that he finally opens up to her, it was like, wow, this yeah. is really cool. Like, he he's the one, he finally sits down with her and tells her the story of his daughter. Mm-hmm. And how he believes she's still alive. That's how we find out. He tells Deborah because he keeps going back to her. He's He first meets her through this one case with this one kid who happens to be Jewish and grew up in the orphanage. And then he keeps being like, oh, a child I have to deal with. Well, I know a nice lady who runs an orphanage. I guess I'll take this child there for now. Like, we have a child that needs to be taken care of and there isn't, you know, Child Protective Services doesn't right. exist. So, like, I guess we'll take him to this orphanage. And he just keeps ending up going back to her and they kind of develop this bond, this friendship. And when he opens up to her, when he kisses her, I was like, whoa, I did not see that happening. Although it was kind of hot. It was surprising, but I was kind of into it. There's there's something (laughs) deeply hot, I think, to, at least to my American eyes, about the, the, this is, I I feel like it's a British trope Mm -hmm. where it's like, we mustn't. We mustn't. Yeah. We mustn't. He's very much we like... Mustn't. We mustn't. But now we must! Yeah. He he does that kind of thing. He tells her this. He like really bears his soul to her. And then as he's leaving, he's like overly formal. And he's like putting on his hat and like, well, thank you very much, Miss Gorin. And she's like, what for? And he's like, squares his shoulders like, I'm going to leave now. And all of a sudden he's like, nope. And turns around and like swoops her yeah. up and kisses her. And she definitely isn't like, oh no, or whatever. She's like, all right, I'm, t- I'm taking it, you know? Yeah. I'll take it where I can get it because this is my life. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's especially the fact that Drake fucking walks in and is like <laughs> wide eyed, not like quite scandalized, but still like, I do not know how to deal with what I have just seen. <laughs> I did not expect this. And I don't know what to do with this information. He is I, such a delightful character. We really do. Just we need, need to, to talk. Let's, go, just, let's let, go there. Let's, let's go just there. go there. Let's talk about we're Drake. About, we're talking about romance. We need to talk about Drake. We do. Bennett Drake is the best. This is, of course, if, if some weirdo who's listening who's never seen the show and still wants to hear us ramble about it, this is Jerome Flynn's character. He is the one who, in the pilot, is a little bit, like, proper and, you know, a little bit prudish, I guess. Yeah. Even though I really hate that word. Um, I, th- I think a better description for him is more that he's he has old-fashioned notions of of how people should be. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this is how this is done. And yeah. you don't not do this. And yet they don't use that as an excuse to have him be shitty. Yeah. Which often is like, oh, he's old fashioned is used as an excuse for someone right. to be like a dick. But he is awesome. And he's so complex. So like he ends up, they tip it right in the first episode. Yeah. He carries Rose into the broth and she's like, I thought it was safe. And he's like, it is safe. And he has this moment where he like really looks at her and you were like, oh, I kind of was like, oh, I almost ship it. And he absolutely ends up falling in love with Rose and 
he doesn't do it in a I must save you way. Yeah. A fallen woman, I must save her. So he's that's never the vibe of their relationship. He takes her on proper fucking dates. He mm-hmm. takes her to the theater. And Jackson doesn't take her to the fucking theater. Even when even when he decides that he does want to like awkwardly propose marriage, he is very clear-eyed about the fact that just not being a prostitute is not necessarily an improvement yeah. of her situation. Yeah. Which again, given the the day and age that the story is taking place in and sort of the moral the mores of the time, you would expect him to think, well, you're no longer selling yourself. I have saved you. The yeah. End. And, Congratulations. And, yeah. A decent man has showed up to give you a better option. Yeah. He really does like, oh, I know I'm, I'm just a cop. I don't have a lot of money, but I genuinely love you and I want nothing else but to like share my life with you. Yeah. It's very like... He really seems to almost be like, look, I know you got a kind of a fancy life and sometimes you get to hang out with rich dudes who give you nice things or whatever. Like, And she has dreams, you know, she has yeah. like goals. She has aspirations of being like an actress or something or like meeting the right rich man who will spirit her away or whatever, you know. But like, he, yeah. It, and, and then when she's like, oh, no thanks. I can't be a copper's wife, you know. He doesn't go, you ungrateful bitch. How yeah. dare you? He doesn't hate her. He's not angry. He's just brokenhearted yeah. because he really, he really loved her and he really wanted, he really hoped that she would feel the same way. And he's just devastated. He, but he, it, there's no sense of anger or, mm-hmm. or feeling like you ungrateful bitch for not, yeah. I, I, I put, I put friendship tokens in you and sex didn't come out. You know, like I put decency tokens in you and marriage didn't come out is the old timey version, right? Like, like he, I just, the fact that they didn't go there is just like, was what makes him such an awesome character. And also at the end, she is afraid, right? There's, there's some, it's in the second to last episode where the brothel is like ransacked. Yeah. She goes to him. She shows up at his house and is like, I didn't know where else to go. He welcomes her in. He gives her a place to stay. Mm-hmm. And then when she's kind of being a little bit like affectionate towards him, like she's starting to realize, oh, maybe being with this guy would have been a better choice than the danger that I am facing in, at, you know, in my life. He's like, no. He has the self-respect to be like, you're just coming to me because you're scared now. You need to, I will help you in any way I can, but you need to forge your own life and, and be your own person. You can't, I, I won't just, I won't accept your fear in lieu of affection. Right. Yeah, it's <laughs> so a, good. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Rose, I think is another example of the a positive and a negative about this series. The yeah. positive being that the characters are more nuanced and layered. You know, even the fact that she can read and write. Yeah. Uh, strikes the, you know, there's that whole thing where they find out she's been writing letters and yeah. they're like, really? Like, like everybody's like a little bit like, Oh, oh she, she can write. Oh, yeah. Cool. She's more educated than yeah. we think of sex workers as being in this day and age. Yeah. And yet nobody's like up jumped harlot. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's, again, that wonderful sort of, like, invention of the modern world stuff that yeah. we enjoy. But for me, 
she already got kidnapped like in the first episode and again oh, it's she, her getting kidnapped again and i she that's get kidnapped again you're right that's that's the kind of like world being small stuff that i'm like again with rose being kidnapped yeah and see that the thing is if goodnight had kidnapped rose yeah who's who's the guy from jackson's past yeah. in case anyone watched this but is bad with names evil dickhead pinkerton yeah with just the worst face off brand josh hartnett he is oh i didn't see that at all he's just got such an unsettling face yeah not he's not, on a, not in a like oh he's ugly way just like something about him you're just like don't trust that guy which i guess is part of the character but i was like oh and his name is mr goodnight it's just like Honestly, they treat it as if it's his real name, but it sounds like a euphemism for an assassin. Yeah, it's a li- he's a little on the that's a little on the nose with the nomenclature there. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so if if his attempt to to fucks with Jackson mm-hmm. had involved him kidnapping or otherwise placing Rose in danger, I would not have been so annoyed. With the thing where I'm talking about the world feels small. Right, because it would have made sense for this guy. He hates Jackson. Rose and is Jackson's favorite kind of. Yeah. Uh, it would have made sense, but this this is some random other dude who ends up kidnapping Rose. Which yeah. then would like I and I I am very resistant to and like not super into when people fix writing or plots. And they go, if you had done it this way, it would have been better. Yeah. But in this particular case, I think it's in, instructive for pointing out why I have problems with this yeah, yeah so just for the sake of argument you yeah. have goodnight kidnap rose yeah jackson is in jail because he's suspected of being jack the ripper yeah because of you know goodnight's other killing Thing. shenanigans yeah and you then set up a situation where jerome flynn's character uh um drake drake who is broken who is shattered seeing his comrade die yeah who hates Jackson's guts because he has found out that Jackson is sleeping with Rose. And he knows that from the beginning. Yeah, uh, he does know that from the beginning, but there's a, yeah. there's that moment where they're at the bar and Jackson tries to bond over it and Drake is like, fuck you. Yeah, Jackson makes a bad call with like, kind of teasing Drake yeah. about the fact that he has had sex with Rose and Drake hasn't. So you, you yeah. set up a situation where like, the two of them have to team up and... So Drake, you know, go maybe Drake then helps clear Jackson's name so they can get Jackson out of jail so that Jackson can mm. assist in recovering Rose. And that is a way in which all of those plot lines actually have weight and meaning upon each other. Yeah. Other than just this asshole blew through town. He tried to screw you over. He failed. Now there's a new asshole who has also kidnapped the same girl who was kidnapped in the first episode. Yeah. No, I, I can see what you mean. I, I, I don't know that I 100% I'm like, oh, yes, that would have fixed everything. But I know that's not what you right. were trying to do. I, I, I couldn't fix it. The no. fact that anybody was able to write a thing and that it got shot and that it's made and that we're yeah. talking about it is a miracle. Yes. And I applaud their their work. Yeah. But it, it's just kind of like... that. I don't mind if characters have histories with each other or end up having to interact or, yeah. or alliances shift or whatever. But when I talk about the world being small, it's just like, this is the girl who gets kidnapped. Yeah, like, I guess I did If Rose ever gets kidnapped again in the show, I'm going to be like, oh, she got kidnapped again. Well, here's the thing. I That didn't bother me at all. Because, first of all, it's from the first episode to the last episode. 
possibly it's also because there was that big gap, but yeah. I did not make the connection of Jesus, really? Rose getting kidnapped again? Like, and they were completely different situations too. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that didn't bother me, but I can, now that you've pointed it out, I'm like, oh, I can see how that, and maybe it would have bothered me if I hadn't put a year between the pilot and watching the rest of the show. But I don't know. I, I, I I'm not going to defend Rose's character. I think her character in and of itself is one of the weaker characters in the show. She's, I really She's, liked her in the first episode yeah. and then she kind of becomes slightly unlikable throughout the show well first of all because she's not respecting drake like she likes him yeah. but she like more likes the way he treats her yeah and she's sort of toying with him in in the episode where it comes to a head and he proposes and she turns him down jackson is actually kinder to him than she is yeah when jackson goes to her and says hey like let this guy down easy. let this guy down easy and she's like what do you mean i'm not gonna be mean and he's like dude be nice to him. Let him down easy. And then when she does let him, like, turn him down, I can't remember what she says, but she's, she could have been nicer about it, basically. She was, she was a little bit like, you're sweet and all, but like, I have higher aspirations of being some flat foot copper's wife or something. She doesn't say that, but like, it's a little bit like, that's so sweet, but marrying you would be lame. Like, and that's a running yeah, theme with her. It was a bit that... like, oh man, you could be a little nicer about it. Like he is very kind of, and sweet guy. That that's a running theme with her that her aspirations are her downfall. Her in the first episode, the the mm. she's she's taking you know side work, being getting her photo taken. Uh, you know she kind of she gets involved oh. that way. Oh, I didn't really see that theme. And then mm, she that's unfortunate. She turns down Jackson. Or not, she turns down Drake partially because she thinks it. He's not the. Yeah. She could do better. Although, although I would say that the fact that she turns down Drake is not bad. It is no. It's good for the story, and it's good for her character and his character. It's the way she turns him yeah. down that is cruel. But she, right. Yeah. But she's portrayed as someone who is who is seeking a yeah. social advancement. Yeah. And then and what when yet that yeah, is portrayed she, as being bad for her. Yeah, I guess. If you look at the overarching thing, it is because every time she tries to like better herself or not better herself, but just like have grow or mm -hmm. like do something more, it does not go well for her. But I guess I, I didn't feel like it had the tone during the show itself of being like, see, this is what happens when you get uppity or something. Yeah. I didn't feel like that's what the show was doing. It, I would not be, I would I would believe it if the writer said that was totally unintentional. Like, we didn't realize until after the first season was over, like, oh, we're kind of making it seem like every time Rose tries to reach for something, she gets punished. Because she gets kidnapped in the end by trying to get married. Like, she's doing personals ads, which I didn't know were a thing at the time. Apparently they were new. Lonely hearts. Which is a perfect segue yeah. into... I personally feel best gets better. Oh, I do too. I hated best in the pilot. I was like, I don't want to see this guy anymore. He's too weaselly. Yeah. Um, I he, He's not great, right? He doesn't get awesome or anything. He doesn't become my favorite character, but he definitely improves over the show. And I, I also feel like there, there are certain, there's a, a certain kind of character in media who is the, 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 scoundrel that you don't know if you can trust or not mm -hmm. and 
I really like that this guy is an asshole and he's a piece of shit and he's definitely a wild card, but he's all of those things on the side of the angels. Yeah. Like just barely. And I, yeah. I like that because it recontextualizes like I, f I feel based on the way this whole season is written, I feel like they knew where they were going by the end of the season with these character arcs. Yeah. And I feel like the the fact that he doesn't give someone up to the point where they cut his fucking ear off. Yeah. Speaks volumes about his core. Yeah. What is it? What are they trying? It's Good Night's trying to get information out of him. Good Night is trying to find out where to find Susan. Oh, that's because right. Because a picture of her ran in his paper. Yeah. And he won't give up the source. And as much as he's a shit weasel, yeah. he's still a shit weasel who has sort of a, a threshold or a code or whatever. Yeah. Well, which... he's, we, we comment on how like tidy and so he's like the old timey metrosexual. Yeah. Like the fact that I feel like nobody wants their ear cut off, right? No. But like the fact that his appearance is so important to him is like a factor in how significant that was. Yeah. That when they threaten him with bodily harm he still doesn't give up uh, their location. And it that whole thing recontextualizes so many scenes that happened with him earlier in the season. You know, yeah. that, that it kind of paints him in a slightly different light. Yeah. Well, there's a whole, um, the, the underground... Railroad. Railroad. Construction. Uh, not underground railroad. They're constructing an underground railroad. I know, but it's not it's the, the capital U, capital R, underground railroad. Yes. Not the American one. Um, but yeah, they, in that episode, he is definitely like trying to uh, uncover some actual chicanery of a legal and safety issue type of thing. He's trying to reveal that this politician is like in, you know, to, is deeply involved, like monetarily involved in this project in, in a way he's not supposed to be. And like, he's definitely, and that's the Paul McGann episode as well, as long as we're pointing out notable appearances in the course of our discussion. Yes. Also, Anton Lesser is in the episode who played Kyburn in Game of Thrones. I know it's another Game of, it's another Game <laughs> okay. of Thrones. But the fact that Jerome Flynn was my entry point for yeah, the show. Yeah, sure. And there's so many Game of Thrones actors. Uh, and the fact that uh, Anton Lesser plays a shitty, evil, kind of mad scientist, mm -hmm. psychology guy, mm -hmm. like, a, like a dark Freud kind of a yeah. thing. Uh, <laughs> dark Freud. <laughs> I'm author Doc Freud. Dark Freud is my favorite Marvel character. Uh, C-list Doctor Strange villain. Yeah. <laughs> But it was a very similar character to his Game of Thrones character, and I was like, "Okay, he's not going to be evil. Like you're just you're you're looking at this from his character in Game of Thrones." Yeah. And then it's like he totally ended up being exactly yeah. the the kind of he was even more evil than Paul McGann's character was, who you thought Paul McGann was like the main villain. Yeah. But even he is being manipulated by the Doctor. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, I mean, he's not blameless either, but. So good. As long as I'm doing my my Game of Thrones uh, actor appearances, uh, Christian Christian name uh, is the uh, DJ actor producer who plays Hodor in Game of Christian Thrones. Christian name is his name. Is his name. His name is Christian name. His Christian name is Christian name. Apparently, yeah. It's spelled uh, 
Oh, sorry, Naaman. Oh. Naaman. <laughs> or Nairn. Nairn. It's okay. so hard to read it. Like, it's it, he's Icelandic. As long as his name is not Christian, his Christian name is a Christian name. I was like, hold on. Okay, the guy who plays Hodor. I'm yeah. at least very yeah, familiar yeah. with the character. He's, but he's... <laughs> Someone doesn't hold a door for him, right? I understand that's significant. Yeah, I, I believe, <laughs> I believe... Uh yeah, he's in the eighth episode. He's the the bro, the the like large uh uh like uh sort of burly brother of the kidnappers. Oh the, the yes, yes, that's right. The gentle okay. brother. Yes, the the possibly slightly developmentally disabled. Yeah, strong man. The, the type, simple giant. The simple giant type character, sure. Which, you know. It's interesting how there are a lot of the, like, trope characters from Penny Dreadfuls in this show, mm -hmm. and yet there's, they're either not leaning heavily into the, the, the trope, mm -hmm. or they're subverting the trope a little bit in yeah. some way. And I... Yeah, I, for example, he doesn't, like, he doesn't, at no point is he shown being, like, malicious, really, yeah. or, like like taking glee the joy in violence or anything like yeah. that he really is just like he does whatever his brother's sister tell him yeah. and he's big and strong yeah and he happens to be strong so yeah. sometimes what they tell him is involves him hurting people or something but like it's not he's not like i don't know i guess they could have leaned more on like and he's also secretly into it you know yeah what do you have anything else you want to talk about? I feel like we. I'm looking at my notes and we got everything I really wanted to. Well, cover. I mean, we didn't talk at all about Jackson and Susan. We didn't. Yeah, which we you also called in our pilot episode, although in a very like it could be this, it could be this, it could be this way. One of the things you you suggested was the possibility that they might be married. And I, I believe I used couple. the phrase marriage of convenience. Which... Well, you also use that phrase just to refer to their relationship, saying, like, yeah. not actually a marriage, but, like, well, but not that. Here's the weird thing about that. So we established that the reason they have this really tense relationship, but they are sort of connected, is they are still legally married. And they, when they got married, he sort of uh, consensually kidnapped her. I guess you could say. I think say. the word is elope. Yeah. Well, like, he is, he is, he is, yeah, I guess they elope. Is you could they say, eloped, but, like, but his, his now father-in-law treats it as though he kidnapped her. Yes, yes. Um, I guess that is, yeah, the way to put it. Uh, she was under his, he was like her bodyguard or something, and he, but like, they were clearly, it's portrayed as if they were genuinely in love. Yeah. Like, it could have been very like, oh, you were just blinded by how beautiful she was. She just wanted to get away from her father. And then once the two of them were actually alone, they realized how little they had in common. It's really not portrayed that way. It's portrayed as if they genuinely were very deeply in love. But then something happened. But they never really say what happened. But they also don't hint that it was a thing. And we're going to cover that in season two. Like, yeah. I felt very towards the end. I was like, wait a minute. Did... They never really establish what happened to them. It's just sort of understood that, like, they f they drifted apart. But it feels like there's still a lot of affection and very strong emotions between yeah. them. Maybe not quite affection. Affection is too soft a word. There's still very strong emotions between them. But uh, there is a lot of anger and 
even maybe contempt between them. Like there's, there's some really good moments between them in that last episode. Or is it the second to last episode when they, I think it's the second to last episode when they reveal that they were, that they're married. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where he basically says like, I still care about you. And I'm still on, like, I am still, I'm trying to think of the word, not protecting her, but like, he's like, I'm, my life is still predominantly focused around, like, making sure that no harm comes to you. Or like, that seems like uh, oversimplifying it, but like, he says something like that and he's like, after X number of years, seven years of marriage, how many husbands can say that? Or something like that. Yeah. And then they have this intense moment where he kisses her and they kiss and it feels genuine in the moment and then she slaps him. Like, I'm not done being mad at you kind of thing. But it's not like cute either. It's not yeah. done in a cute way like, ah, she still loves him though. Like, it's not like the ending of Coco where <laughs> Mama Melda's like, I'm still mad at you. Like, oh, but you said love of your life. That's what I heard. You know, it's not yeah. cute like that. It's very like, what is going on with these two? And I couldn't tell because if they had definitely been like hinted at the fact that something happened, we still haven't dealt with what happened between us or something like that. It's not. So I don't know what, if we're just supposed to assume that they just fell apart, that it was really that once the two of them were alone, they realized, oh, we were caught up in the, the, romance and our kind of like Romeo and Juliet sort of like whirlwind thing that we weren't supposed to be together and that was part of what we were you know how we were drawn to each other like it, it is portrayed as if they do still Jackson more than Susan I would say he still ha- cares for her mm-hmm. she seems to be more mad at him than he is at her but it it's not portrayed that he's done something to particular yeah, which the the vibe that I get, I'm still getting like, a, and this is a, more of a, a sort of a general portrayal vibe, but I'm still getting that there is something debilitating about him that is not being addressed. Mm-hmm. And there's the there's the scene where he's talking about the Pinkerton strike breaking in Chicago, mm-hmm. and he says they said a Pinkerton threw the first bomb or something, first grenade or whatever, and the way he plays the scene and the way it's written, it's kind of implied that he was said Pinkerton and that his disillusionment with, with the Pinkertons and like, even though it was the, the elopement that they're hiding from, Mm -hmm. it's, he's also hiding from something that he did possibly during the strikes in Chicago. Uh Like he is living a life that is seeking atonement and is full of self-loathing. It's just something I'm reading yeah. in the character, and this this could just be my reading of it. But again, it's one of those things where I think it's an example of actually good uh, mystery box, expo log, whatever you want to call it, yeah. stuff. That even if this show ended season one right now, yeah, it has still provided a very satisfying arc for that character and that relationship. Yeah. That he gets his his moment of coming back to face his pursuer. Yeah. And he when he kills Goodnight, like there's that that moment. Which episode seven, this show went from like a six to a twelve in intensity of like yeah people. It was like you it know was it was a lot. Like, it was like if somebody if there's a dead body, it's someone we've never seen before. Yeah. And then in that episode, like. 
he just there, there's no moral victory like anything like that over Goodnight where like he tricks Goodnight with a flash of the sun in his eyes so Goodnight misses him and then he doesn't shoot him so Goodnight can be arrested. Yeah. He's just like not nah, blip. Yeah. And you know and um Officer Hobbs getting killed as well is just like oh wow damn yeah. we're shit got real. Yeah. Yeah, definitely it was it was a big jump. And it was jarring, and I didn't know how to feel about it, uh, but. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess the only yeah. other thing that I had noted, well, two other things that I noted are, I definitely thought Adeline was going to be a bigger character, uh, mm-hmm. chief. Inspector Harumph. Inspector Harumph, yeah. I thought his, he was going to be, his, his sort of you and I read will always be connected in the yeah. pilot with like, he really isn't, he's barely around. He only shows up when they need someone to be like, to harumph about yeah. policy or something like that. Um, and then show, he shows up in the end for the, you know, being like, aha, finally again, we got him. And again, like in the pilot, he's, he's real hot to, to get Jackson and prove that he was Jack the Ripper. Cause he still wants to be the man who right. caught Jack the Ripper, not the man who didn't. But when they finally give him proof, he goes, oh, God damn it. Okay. He, he, he listens to reason though. Mm-hmm. He still listens to reason, which it's a little bit of the same character beat again yeah. from the pilot. But I, yeah, I, I guess I wanted to call out that like, I really thought he was going to be a bigger part of the show and he wasn't. And that the interesting turns of phrase that we were so in love with in the pilot, unfortunately don't really continue throughout the show. Which I think I would have to, you know look at the IMDb's or whatever, but yeah. it seems like a really good pilot was written by somebody who really, like... Yeah. You know, and then the writer's room got the character arcs pretty right. Yeah. But those turns of phrase yeah. didn't... Didn't continue throughout yeah. the show. Those great, like, she's been dressed as Jack for our eyes, and which of the girls has a leaning to smut? Like, yeah. just some on t- turns of phrase that we either thought were, like, ooh, well-crafted or just fun... I, yeah, it didn't really stick around so much. The only, there's only like two quotes that I made note of during the course of the show, which was Jackson saying, hey, whatever raises another man's sales is no business of mine. And then there's a quote, which I actually wrote down in my notes from Ms. Gorin, where she's talking about her religion. And she says, I am a secular woman inspector. I've seen too much of the truth of things for it to be otherwise. Yet this of my faith I have kept. Save one life and you save the world entire. Like it's a. a that was beautiful. That it's moment. a real good moment for her. It's a character and it's a very good. It's a good line. So, but yeah, other than that, I I was expecting more of the turns of phrase to stick around, and that was a bit bumming, a bit bumming out. A bit of a bummer. That's what I was trying to say. And then the other thing was we were worried about the queer coding of villains in the pilot, and like we needn't because the show ended up actually being very cool about. Uh, gay characters, yeah. At least in that one episode where it was a factor, you know. I could have done with a little more tributism, but the show didn't have any tributists. No, that's just that's on you, buddy. <laughs> At any rate, word. I know you like it. It's I a, love it's that an old word. Tiny word. It's anyway, such an old tiny word. Google it. Predictions. predictions. Do you have any predictions for season two and forward? Well, now I'm 
now I'm like, oh God, what are they going to do about Reed's daughter? Is this going to be, I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm hoping that in the first episode, they will sort of establish that Reed is now, has now accepted that his daughter is dead and is going to start moving on. And what would be much more interesting to me than Reed goes, aha, but other thing, but other clue, or he gets another clue or something. What would be way more interesting to me, which is not always what shows choose to write, uh, would be him going, ah, okay, I guess my daughter really is dead. It's time for me to start dealing with that. Also, got this whole relationship with my wife that's been very tense for the last year because we were not on the same page uh, in re whether our daughter was dead. Right. Also, I've kind of started this whole affair with this other woman. Now, I don't know. It's not like my wife and I can begin to heal our relationship. I feel like their relationship is beyond healing. Mm-hmm. But they're probably not going to get divorced because of time period. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, that's the thing that I was kind of hoping they would be dealing with in season two. But now I'm a little bit concerned that they might not be done with Reed's daughter in that storyline. Um, uh, honestly, I don't know. I they, they wrap up most of the things they introduced and the arcs that they started in season one at least relatively satisfactorily. Mm-hmm. Like, not 100% happy about everything, right? Like, there's still some question of what the relationship is between uh, Jackson and Susan, like, why their relationship yeah. is the way it is now. Um, but they they just more or less wrapped everything up. Like, I'm not still waiting. I guess Reed is the main character that still, I'm like, oh, what's he going to do now? Yeah. Because something significant has changed. Drake, on the other hand, he has such a great arc in that first season I, even though I would be 100% on board with more Drake, he's great. Mm-hmm. I want more of that just because he's a great character. But I'm not like, ooh, I can see they're going to deal with thing about his relationship or his or his, his character now. I don't really know what they would do with Drake now other than add new things. Yeah, I'm... My sort of thinking about this going forward and as we kind of get into Final Verdict as well, I think some of this will make a lot more sense, but... I have a lot of concern about the fact that a lot of the arcs were really satisfactorily Mm -hmm. wrapped up. And it's like, what does this show do in season two to sort of up the ante? Because Mm. I don't really want them to up the ante. I just want more old-timey crimes. In old-timey times. Yeah. And I don't really want it to suddenly be like... The Italian syndicate is taking over the south end of London. Yeah, or like, there's a bomb inside the Queen. Yeah, it's just like I don't, you know, it's a little reference to yeah. our oh yeah, NCIS episode, <laughs> also from season Prime one. Prime Minister, of season the, one, true believers. The Kaiser stole my wooden boat. <laughs> oh no. Uh, but you know, like I, I just I want it to stay, I want it to stay, you know, on the ground, beat cop kind of a thing i i would like the world to feel a little wider in terms of i just i don't want the same i don't want rose to get kidnapped again Mm -hmm. if someone gets kidnapped maybe not rose yeah i i'd love a a bottle episode uh, with like drake and reed stuck in a box oh better drake and jackson finally having to deal with their shiz like i would like things like that but but i want that now yeah oh drake and jackson trapped in a in a room together but in terms of like bigger overarching kind of stuff, I, I, I don't want any of that. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that is a potential problem with with where they would go for this show, which 
is especially seems uh, very real because it happens so often on so many other shows is that all we want is more of these characters gradually growing while they're doing the thing that they do, which is solving crimes. Mm -hmm. And shows tend to be like, no, 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 no. We need big things. We need big stories. We need elaborate shit, which I guess, uh, you know, we've twice now compared this to Longmire, but like, I'm going to do it again. That's what happens with Longmire. I just wanted Longmire being a laconic... Country sheriff. Country sheriff solving crimes while slowly and very personally dealing with the death of his wife. And uh, I just watched the first episode of season three and I might be done with the show. Because by season three, Henry's in fucking jail for a crime we know he didn't commit, but there's some very damning evidence that could be enough to actually get him, like, actually sent to prison for the rest of his life for murder, a murder he didn't commit. Um, and every, everyone has been in the hospital. Everyone has had a near death experience. Like currently branch is the one. And also like, there's, I'm like, I just don't care. By the end of that episode, they hadn't resolved the mystery they set up at the end of season two. And I'm like, no, thank you. If they haven't resolved that by the end of the first episode of the third season, it's going to be an overarching thing for the entire season. And I'm just not interested in this big, like, I don't need uh, Jacob Nighthorse, the guy. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't need him to be a, like a Native American mafia guy. Right. Which they're kind of setting him up as. And I'm like, exhausting but yeah it's that sort of thing that i do not want to happen to ripper street but like it's always a possibility because it's a fairly recent show and that's a thing shows apparently like to do now we just can't have small stories it's all got to be like big overarching stuff yeah. which i i don't feel the see the first season does that especially um but it's a it's a very real possibility with the second season i hope not i'm definitely going to watch more of the second season i'm at least start it so that's so that that's, that, that tells into final verdict. I yeah. guess you're going to watch more. Yeah, I am definitely going to. I have been champing at the bit to start the next season, and uh, I've been waiting for this to happen so that I could. So I'm definitely going to. It sounds like you're not. I'm I'm on the fence. I think what will most likely happen for me is if you watch the second season and you're like, oh my god, worth watching. Want to talk about it on yeah. podcast? I'm into this. Yeah. Drake is continually great in this season i i am willing to to give it another shake because i have a, a friend who's going to check it out but like yeah. if season two just like lands with like rear admiral cornwall has decided that drake is a dick because drake beat him at cards on accident and he is going to ruin everything and then you find out that Lord F- Fontalbottom is actually the author of all your woes, Reed. Yeah. I made the train guy do evil <laughs> science, and I hired the Pinkertons to frame your doctor. Also, I'm Jack the Ripper, and by the way, I killed your daughter. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, at a certain point, I could see the show developing into that, and I just, I don't, yeah. I don't want it. The The character who has not been present at all arriving and being like i am the author of all your woes literally moriarty yeah i just i don't want that like that is something that i think is a strong point in the show's favor yeah is that it doesn't have a moriarty yeah 
there's there's no there there are a lot of very clever people who are very yeah. good at, at, at messing with things, but there's nobody yeah. who's like Inspector Reed. Yeah, I shall. I am. Hello, I am the Napoleon of crime. Yeah, and and I have been here the whole. Napoleon time. of crime? No, I am the t- the Nikola Tesla of crime. <laughs> well, I'm the Thomas Edison of crime, and I stole your crime ideas, and I'm doing them with better publicity. Excuse ha. me. Excuse me. Ha. I'm the Genghis Khan of crime. Is there a cue? Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Anyway, that's not go there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I am glad that you will be watching it. and Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, if I'm, yeah. I, I remembered when listen, re-listening to our pilot chat that you had heard some people did not like this show. Mm-hmm. And it could, I'm, 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 part of me is like, well, there were certainly some things I didn't like in the first season. Those could be the things they didn't like. But um, also, I'm like, but what if it's season two? Is what people really yeah didn't didn't go for. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, I'm reluctant to let go of a show that has a Jewish character because they just they're few and far between, friends. And I will cling to them when I can. Good ones that are not, uh, you know, either there to be cliches or only Jewish when the plot remembers that it would be convenient community anyway still mad still mad at them about that Dan Harmon I think that was the that might have been the gas leak season so I guess I can't blame him yeah <laughs> anyway I I'm not ready to give up on this show yet um, but I'm going into season two with the understanding that I may do a hard turn like I did with Longmire. I mean, I ended season two of Longmire like, are we going to do a season two catch up? Let's record an episode about it. And you were like, let's just wait till you're done with the show. Maybe we'll do like an overarching series yeah. one. And I went, okay. Then I watched the first episode of season three and went, oh, fuck. <laughs> I might hate this now. Yeah. So sorry if you're a big fan of Longmire. We may not ever record another episode where we talk about my, that might have to be a thing where we will only do it if there is a clamoring for it. So, <laughs> if, Speaking of clamoring, thank you folks here on Patreon for supporting us. That's yeah. why we're doing these Patreon-exclusive episodes during our summer break to sort of keep the content coming for you folks because you're literally keeping the lights on for Pilot House. Like, our web oh, hosting okay. would not be possible. I, was about to say, I don't know about literally. You're literally you. putting food in our stomachs, though. Our web hosting would not be possible without the generous support of you people here on Patreon. So thank you very much. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pilot House Pod. Visit our website, pilothousepodcast.com, or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com to suggest future shows. Our podcast is entirely listener-supported, so thanks to this week's special guest stars CJ, Jerome, and Rowan for supporting us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash pilothouse to find out how you can become a series regular. Pilot House is a Herringbone Society production. You're keeping our mouths full of greasy bags of dicks. Yeah, and occasionally pizza and teriyaki. It's a lot of grease. Look, you got it when you gotta grease the wheels of podcasting. Yeah. There's you just gotta literally grease. Grease. Mm-hmm. And on that note. Bye! bye!